thanks for checking out this message from Springmount Church. For more information about us and what we do, visit our website, springmount.church. Why not check out all the different groups that run throughout each week in Barrow and on Walney? And join us every Sunday from 11am at Salt House Pavilion in Barrow Infernos. If you would like us as a church to pray for you, please email prayer at springmount.church or sign up on our website for monthly news straight to your inbox. Okay, just uh, turn to your neighbour and just tell them something weird that you do generally. Okay. Like a, 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 a weird thing that you do, you know. Don't get too personal, okay. Don't get too personal. If you've already gone too personal, let them pray for you afterwards. It's fine. Okay. And uh, as we were singing that song, we talked about the pancakes. And, you know, I, I, I like Biscoff spread. If you've never tried it, you're missing out. But uh, as we sang that song, it said, I've tasted, and seen, I've tasted and seen nothing. There's nothing sweeter than Jesus. And I'm thinking, you know, Biscoff's amazing. But Jesus, Jesus is brilliant, isn't he? You know, so if Biscoff's good, how good is Jesus? You know, uh, because he, we need to experience him to know how good he is. Uh, we can't know how good he is until we've tasted and seen. So, uh, yeah, just a byproduct of that. But weird things that we do, customs and traditions. Uh, for those of you who are visiting, we've been looking at the book of Ruth, and today we look at chapter 4. Um, but in our family, we have a bit of a weird tradition. I've mentioned it before, I think. Uh, we have a Christmas Eve show every year. So when the kids were little, the girls in the Dodd and Harrison family used to make tickets, plan a show. On Christmas Eve, we had to all go into the lounge and we had to all watch uh, what they did. And we thought as they grew up, that would stop. But no, Joel's, Joel's nearly 23. It's still going on. And if you ever visit our house on Christmas Eve, the tradition is that you have to do something as well. So Paul and Abelie's done a bit of uh, uh, dressing up as Father Christmas and things like that. And uh, Dan did some jokes, didn't he, this year? And we've had Brazilian dancing. We've had all sorts of things. Welsh speaking as well. We had Welsh speaking from Jenny. and yeah. Uh, but there's all sorts of weird customs, isn't there? Weird traditions, things that we do just because we've always done them or because they're fun to do. And I was researching some weird customs across the world. And believe me, there's some really strange ones. And some of them I just don't want to mention because they're that weird. You know, there's one where a newborn baby is dropped off a small cliff into some blankets. I don't know what country it is, but, you know, don't do that, Courtney. Don't do that, okay? <laughs> don't do that. And it's a tradition. Another one in Spain, they lie them on mats, babies. They lie babies on mats in the street, and they get someone to dress up and, and jump over them and walk through the streets jumping over babies. It's, like, very strange. But uh, this morning, we see a little bit of a weird custom in Book of Ruth uh, as we come to a finish. And I want to think this morning about a fact that Jesus is still yet again pointed to in this book, pointed to before he was around, because Jesus is through it all. Jesus is through it all. So let's read some verses from Ruth chapter 4. We're going to read from the NIV. Uh, the verses will be up on the screen. Uh, Chris is doing a fantastic job up there. So meanwhile, if you remember, Boaz and Ruth had agreed that Boaz was going to become the redeemer. Boaz could marry Ruth and give Ruth back her sort of position, if you like. But there was another one 
who was before Boaz in line. There was another person, and Boaz wanted to do it right. We talked last week about obedience. Boaz wanted to do it right, do things right, not take shortcuts. So Boaz sets about doing things the right way. Meanwhile, Boaz went up to the town gate and sat down there just as the guardian redeemer he had mentioned came along. Here's another it just so happened moment. Okay, God is in all of this. It just so happened. So just as the guardian redeemer he had mentioned came along, Boaz said, come over here, my friend, and sit down. So he went over and sat down. Boaz took 10 of the elders of the town and said, sit here. And they did so. Then he said to the guardian redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from Moab, is selling the piece of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. That's Naomi's husband who died. I thought I should bring the matter to your attention and suggest that you buy it in the presence of these seated here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, buy it back, so do it. But if you will not, tell me so I will know. For no one has the right to do it except you. And I am next in line. And the Kingsman Covenant Redeemer said, I will do it. We're just going to stop there a moment. This man is next in line. He can be this Covenant Redeemer, the one who restores Ruth back to where she was, who restores the family, restores them, takes them out of that difficult field and puts them in a better place, gives them a future, gives them a hope. And it just so happened again. God is weaving this tapestry, yeah? He's weaving the tapestry, the big picture behind the scenes. Just to point out as we read this book, the town gate was the official place of business. That was where things were decided. So he wasn't just randomly sitting by the gate. This was like the forum for doing those things. This was the official place to do business. And Boaz is being obedient and doing things right. So this covenant redeemer says, yes, I'll redeem this piece of field. Verses 5 to 6. Then Boaz said... On the day you buy the land from Naomi, you also acquire Ruth, the Moabite, the dead man's widow, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. At this, the guardian redeemer said, that I cannot redeem it because I might endanger my own estate. You redeem it yourself. I can't do it. So let's, let's get this straight, okay? Would you like to buy this field belonging to your relative? Yes, I would. Okay, you get, his, you get the wife as well. Oh, no, you're okay. You can do it. Okay, have you ever watched any of the shopping channels? You know, I don't, but I know that, you know, they say, if you buy this set of knives now, then we'll throw in a, a, a knife sharpener for free. It's a little bit like that, isn't it? But perhaps not as good a deal. Buy this piece of land. You'll have land. It's good. It'll be cheap. It'll keep it in the family name. Being a landowner was important. But then you get Ruth, the outsider. Ruth, the Moabite foreigner. Ruth as your wife. Actually, his worry was, hang on a minute, I get the land, but then I end up with somebody else's wife. And the danger with that was that Ruth's family would then take that property and possibly the rest. There was a danger that this man, in redeeming the land and redeeming Ruth, would lose all that he had. There was a danger that in doing this step, he would lose the things that he already owned. No, thank you, is what he says. But Boaz was selfless. There's three S's today, okay, to help you remember. Boaz was selfless. He was selfless. He was prepared to do whatever it took so that Ruth was restored. But he did it the right way. He was obedient. He was selfless. 
The first in line man of promise was not willing to lose it all for Ruth. Even if he gained something in, the, in return, even if he gained some property, even if he gained a field, he wasn't willing to lose what he had. He didn't want to risk losing what was hid. So here in chapter 4 of Ruth, we see selfless behavior, but we also see selfish behavior, don't we? Boaz was selfless, willing to lay it down in order to restore and redeem Ruth. You know, who does that point us to? As we read the book of Ruth, who does that point us to? Jesus, because he was willing to lay it all down to restore and redeem you and me. He was willing to lay it down. He wasn't interested in his selfish gain. He was willing to lay it all down so that we could be restored, redeemed, taken from brokenness into restoration. Yeah? That's what it's telling us. This story is echoing Jesus, the one who was willing to lay it down, the one who didn't count the cost. How often when you do something do you count the cost? You know? Donna stood up here today and said about we need help with this, uh, this cat pancake party. Yeah, we all like pancakes, but maybe we don't want to be the one that makes them because that's, that's going to cost me my time. You know, it might cost me smelling of batter for the next week. You know, it might cost me something. I don't, I don't know if I can lay down two hours on that Tuesday night to even come and eat some pancakes. You know, I'm not sure it fits in with my schedule. I've got Pilates at six. I've got uh, something else at seven, you know. I'm not sure it fits in with my schedule. Jesus was willing to lay it down. He was willing to lay it down. And sometimes we think, no, I don't want to lose that. Yeah, give me Jesus. But hold on a minute. Oh, I get that with it as well. I get that responsibility. I get that, that, that thing where people might tease me. I get that thing where people might criticize me. Hold on a minute. I'm not sure. You know, I, I quite like the, the Disney cartoon and more recently the film Aladdin, yeah? yeah everyone, any, anyone not seen Aladdin, just so I can see? Okay, if you haven't, Josh, watch it. It's good, okay? You know, say, you know anyway, I'm not going to go with that. I was going to say something I shouldn't. No, I won't. It wasn't going to... I'll tell you afterwards, Josh. It wasn't offensive or mean, but, you know, I, I won't say it on the podcast. But uh, the genie in Aladdin, one of the things they talk about, the genie in Aladdin, he's got the power, hasn't he? Yeah? Yeah? Are you still awake? I'm really tired this morning. We had a really busy day yesterday. Amazing night last night. I'm sorry for those who couldn't be here. It was an amazing night. But the genie in Aladdin had all the power. Yeah? He had all the power. He had all the power. He had the ability. He had the might. But there's one drawback. He had an itty-bitty living space, I think is the phrase. Yeah? Jack and Eric, Jackie and Eric can probably say it better than me because it's an American phrase, I'm guessing. An itty-bitty living space, yeah? He had all the might. He had all the power. He had everything he could give. But he was confined. He was restrained. He was shackled. And he was trapped. He was trapped. You know, the genie was still a slave. He might be popular. He might, you know, to some people he might think, wow, I wish I could be a genie, you know? Rustling up Biscoff out of nowhere. That'd be great, wouldn't it? <laughs> Got to stop thinking about Biscoff, you know. <sighs> Fresh start course tomorrow. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll confess my sins. It's okay. The genie might be popular. He might, he might be a popular. He might be powerful. But actually, selfishness becomes his prison. Because he hasn't got any say over it. And actually, that's what happens with Jafar, isn't it? Jafar wants the power. He wants the might. He wants the, the be-all and end-all. 
And so his wish in the end is to become a genie, the most powerful person on earth. But he ends up with the itty-bitty living space because he's trapped and because he's shackled. And actually, Aladdin in that story is selfish, selfless. His third wish is to set the genie free. Do you know, we don't want to talk about Aladdin too much this morning. But Jesus gives us the power of his spirit. Jesus himself said to his disciples, you will do immeasurably more than me. And Ephesians says we, we, he can do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine. If you see the journey of the five years we've taken to get here, believe me, he has done immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine and continues to do so. Jesus has the power to set you free. And yet, sometimes we choose to live in the itty-bitty living space. In the story of Ruth, Boaz is selfless. He's selfless because he's willing to lay down everything he has in order to restore Ruth. Same with Jesus. Same with you. Jesus has already laid it all down for you. Will you say, I'll lay it down for you, Jesus, in return? First of all, we see selflessness. Ruth 4, verses 7 to 8 says this. Now, in earlier times in Israel, for the redemption and transfer of property, bit of legal jargon here. I haven't got a dingbat, Paul, sorry. Uh, transfer of property to become final, one party took off his sandal and gave it to the other. This was the method of legalizing transactions in Israel. So the guardian redeemer said to Boaz, buy it yourself, and he removed his sandal. So I did think this morning, you know, we could take our shoes off. Yeah, if you want to, you can. Steve's going for it. Steve's going for it. Okay? Yeah, I wouldn't come too close to mine. Uh, it's hot work standing up here. But he took his shoes off. So the legal deal to show that actually you'd made an agreement was to switch shoes or to, to give shoes. So there you go, Steve. Okay? Oh, yours are very fresh. Very nice. <laughs> Yeah, that's, I'm impressed, I'm impressed. Very good, have you got something nice in there? You just squirt in there or something? No? Just had a shower. Just had a shower. Very, ah, yeah, okay. <laughs> and you've sat that, no, anyway. To exchange the shoes and to give the shoe is a legal thing. Because obviously, if someone said, I didn't say that, you'd say, hold on a minute, I've got your sandal, mate. Okay, you did say it and you gave me a shoe. Okay, because nobody's wrestling someone to the ground to steal a shoe off them. No? I mean, mine might be a bit smelly, but there's sandals in the dust, the dirt, the heat probably camel dung, all sorts of things, wouldn't have been pleasant, okay? But going shoeless was sealing the deal. To go shoeless was to seal the deal. And um, it reminded me, actually, of a bizarre Barrow custom. Where's Gareth Hilbeck, okay? And Phil Dixon, you'll know what I'm talking about. Maybe you might not, Phil. You might not have been around at the time of this. But there was a chant that Barrow football fans sang and they stood on the terraces. I remember going to Sunderland in the third round of the FA Cup on a January freezing cold day with the snowdrifts piling at the side of, the, of the, the road. And the chant that Barrow fans used to sing was, Shoes off if you love Barrow. Shoes off if you love Barrow. Shoes off. And you're standing there in your stocking feet on concrete. I think people looked at them and thought, what a bunch of nutters. Okay. <laughs> It didn't originate in Barrow, actually. Apparently, it started in Cardiff, and it's gone to around the place. But this was, Barrow fans would stand there in the wet, in the rain, with the shoes in the air, proudly saying, look, this is the deal. Shoes off if you love Barrow. So this morning, I thought we could go, shoes off if you love Jesus. Maybe that's a bit cheesy. 
But going shoeless was sealing the deal. It was sealing the deal. You know, and, and shoes have all sorts of bizarre links to customs. You might see occasionally shoes dangling from phone lines and power lines. Now, before I get into too much detail about that, there are all sorts of reasons for that. Apparently, in some parts of the world, it signifies that somebody has died. So they put a pair of trainers and hang them over a, a, a phone line. In some places, it means there's a drug dealer in that area. Okay? Some of you might know that better than me. But also, the other thing is, sometimes it's probably just a stag night that they've taken the shoes off the groom <laughs> and chucked them on the lines. So don't get too excited when you see them and thinking, oh, my word, it's a symbol of doom or anything else. It could just be somebody having a laugh. Okay? But taking shoes off, to show the, the sole of your shoe to somebody is an offence in parts of the world. Some of you may remember George Bush having a, th a shoe thrown at him by, an, I think it was by an Iranian journalist, because that was the ultimate insult to somebody, to throw a shoe at somebody. Shoes are significant things, aren't they? They're significant things. And in this state, we see it's like a signature. It's like a seal to say, this is my promise. This is my promise. And as I thought some more about shoes, I was reminded of Moses. Moses, when he encountered the presence of Jesus, when he encountered the presence of God in that bush, he said, take your shoes off because you stood on holy ground. You know, if you go into somebody's house, you often take your shoes off because you don't want to make a mess of the carpet. Oh, the carpet's nice. We don't want to spoil the carpet. When we come into the presence of God, we're quite content to bring the muck and the dust and the dirt of our everyday life with us. But we can leave it with him. And I was reminded as well, and I said this last night, and I thought it would be good to show you, that I believe in this place, when you come into this building, you are on holy ground. And I've got a couple of pictures just to show you why you're on holy ground. Hopefully they'll come up. They might be sideways. I don't know if have you flipped them. Oh, no. Oh, they are sideways. This one says, May this building be a beacon of God's light and blessings for the peace of your word, now and forever, for everyone who walks with you. Amen. There's a prayer. Do you know where that prayer is written? Under your feet. This floor underneath this carpet is covered with the prayers of God's people. When the carpet, before the carpet went down, we had a couple of nights where we came in with markers and we wrote the prayers that we had. We were on our knees, in the dust, in the dirt, with markers that sometimes stopped working. And we wrote the prayers of God's people on this floor. There's another one that as you come through the doors here, it says, Psalm 100, enter his gates with thanksgiving. That's an order, <laughs> okay? It's written under your feet as you walk into his place. Enter his gates with thanksgiving. Go into his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name for the Lord is good. His love endures forever. When you come into this place, you stood on holy ground because we have prayed and prayed over this place. Not because it's a special building, but because God is here, because he's in us. And we have pleaded and pleaded with him to be present. So we're stood on holy ground. So maybe when we're crushing our biscuits into the floor or dropping our donuts, we think about that. Because actually we need to say, God, we're on holy ground. Take our shoes off. If you want to take your shoes off and get on your knees, do so. Don't let anyone stop you. Just make sure you've had a shower like Steve, okay? <laughs> Just make sure you've washed your feet. It also reminded me of that episode with Jesus. You can put yours back on if you want, Steve. I'm quite comfortable. I'm going to do a Sandy Shore for the rest of the service. That's a reference for the older people here. 
Okay, young people, Sandy Shaw was a singer. She used to perform barefoot. There you go. Okay, I think she won the Eurovision. Oh, she was in the Eurovision in 1970. Is that right, Donna? Some Oh, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> hold on. Can I just say a moment, please? I wasn't implying that Donna would know because she was alive then. Donna is a big fan of Eurovision, okay? Just let's, let's, before I get shoes thrown at me, okay? It was around that time, wasn't it? I think. I wasn't alive then either. I know I, know I might look like I was, but I wasn't, okay? <laughs> Steve was. Okay. Shoes. Shoes pick up the dirt. They pick up the dust. We walk through all sorts of things, don't we, Eric? Uh, we walk through all sorts of things, sometimes without our shoes on. But actually our shoes, we come into this place. And metaphorically, when you come into God's presence, we need to take our shoes off. We need to be selfless before him. And we need to take our shoes off and say, God, cleanse me again. Create in me a new heart. Give me a freshness of your spirit. So we need to be selfless, and sometimes we need to be shoeless because we're on holy ground. Whenever we're in God's presence, we're on holy ground. You know, being a redeemer involved being selfless, and it involved being shoeless. Jesus showed that when he washed his disciples' feet, and he removed their shoes. He removed the shoes, and he cleaned them so that they weren't covered in the dust and muck of the day. Every day, take our shoes off. Take our shoes off, metaphorically. It goes on to say this. Ruth chapter 4, verses 13 to 17 says this. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. When he made love to her, the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. The women said to Naomi, Praise be to the Lord, who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons has given him birth. Then Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. The women living there said, Naomi has a son. And they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. So what did all of this mean? What did it mean to Boaz, to Naomi, to Ruth? What does it mean to us? Well, to, to Naomi, it meant she was sustained, that she was renewed, that she was not left without a redeemer. Do you know that message is for you today? God doesn't leave you without a redeemer. He's already sent Jesus. Jesus has already paid the price. He's already done it. We sealed the deal by coming to him and getting shoeless and saying, God, take the dust, take them up. It meant Naomi was sustained, renewed, that she was not left without. You know, God will not leave you without. He will not leave you without. Boaz was completely selfless. He was involved in a shoeless deal in order to restore Ruth and Naomi back to their position and their provision in society. Jesus does the same for you and me. He wants to restore you back to your position and provision as a child of God, as a person who can walk with God, as a person who knows God intimately. Jesus was, is, and has been selfless in his love. He has been involved in demonstrating a better way when he washed his disciples' feet. And ultimately, he can restore us to a place of provision for all eternity, not just now, 
not just next week, forever. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. He provides a place for us if we accept his deal. He didn't exchange a shoe with us. He gave his life. He gave more than a shoe. He gave his life. He gave everything it was so that we could be set free. That we don't have to be confined to an itty-bitty living space. But that we can be free. That we can be empowered. That we can be filled. He exchanged his life for yours and mine. And Jesus this morning, the book of Ruth, shows us a covenant promised redeemer. Jesus is the promise you are waiting for. He's the promise you're waiting for. And all we have to do is say yes. I don't know what you remember most about the book of Ruth. Maybe it's faithfulness that Phil spoke about. Maybe it's obedience. Maybe it's provision. Well, let me tell you this. The main message is we can be restored. We can be renewed. We can be redeemed. And actually, God is working all the time and saying, come. Please come. You don't need to do it every day and, and say, I'm a Christian today, I'm a Christian today. We just come. And his promise is he will never leave us. He promises never to leave us or forsake us. Ruth shows us a God who loves, a God who sees the big picture. We don't see the big picture. And it's shown us a God who provides a way to be restored and renewed. I hope you've enjoyed a read through Ruth. I hope you've enjoyed what it's got to say. Next week we start a series about prayer and the importance of prayer. Please come, get involved, get involved in a connect group. Because the most important thing Ruth tells us, we need to be connected to the Redeemer. We need to be connected to a Savior. A Savior who was selfless. A Savior who went more than shoeless. And a Savior who saved. Not just for today, but for eternity. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you that in a moment we're going to take bread and we're going to take juice to remember your body and blood given selflessly given selflessly so we might be saved. We take this in remembrance of you. We remember all that you do and all that you've done and all that you will do. And Father God, we come before you and today we can say, let me seal the deal. I'll give my life for you. I'll exchange my life for yours. You laid it all down. So Father God, I want to lay it before you today. As I stand on holy ground, as I come before you to say, God, put your seal of your spirit on my heart as a sign of your presence with me. So, Father, we thank you for every person gathered in this place, and we thank you for the children, and we just ask that each one will know the promised Redeemer who never leaves, who never forsakes. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to invite our prayer team to be at the back. We are going to take communion. Paul's going to lead us in some worship. But as we sit and reflect, maybe there's lessons you've learned from Ruth that you want to go, today I want to respond. I want to show that I'm sealing the deal, that I'm exchanging. Maybe there's things that we've talked about. I know Russell had a pitch on Tuesday night about somebody who, who's keeping one of, their, one of their bins locked up tight and not letting it be exchanged.
Maybe it's that. Maybe there's things in our life that we've not laid down. Maybe we're like that first kingsman redeemer who says, oh, it's too much to ask. God is saying, I've given you all. Come on. I know a better way. I want to wash your feet.